Dee my name is James Nagel, welcome to The Irish Nation Lives. Woodrow Wilson had been re-elected as President of the United States in 1916 on the back of a promise to keep the country out of the war that was then raging in Europe. But while support for neutrality was initially strong, events such as the sinking of the Lusitania and the Zimmerman Telegram had changed matters dramatically, and just a month into his second term, the United States Congress declared war on Germany. Irish-American voters, who formed a powerful bloc within the Democratic Party, were opposed to entering the war, but saw in Wilson's 14 points support for Irish self-determination. But his failure to back calls for Irish representation at the post-war peace talks, along with the harshness of the Versailles Treaty which upset German-Americans, and opposition to his proposal that the United States join the League of Nations, meant that loyalties would be severely tested during the 1920 presidential election. While Wilson hoped to secure a third term, the Democratic Party was not prepared to support his bid due to his ill health following a stroke in October of 1919. As such, both major parties would be holding conventions to appoint candidates and this presented a massive opportunity to the Irish-American organisations to secure a policy commitment on Ireland. The uneasy truce that had been established in March following the Battle of the Park Avenue Hotel continued and a meeting, attended by Eamon de Valera and Judge Daniel Cohallan, was organised for the 22nd of May in Washington to set out their strategy for approaching the Republican Party. Widely expected to win the forthcoming election, Cohallan was hopeful of getting the Republicans to adopt a plank or policy in favour of Irish independence at their presidential convention in Chicago. Initially, there was agreement that the Friends of Irish Freedom would be given charge of approaching the Republican Party, as involvement by the Irish delegation might be seen as an attempt by foreigners to influence American politics, but this didn't last long. De Valera's detractors will say that his ego and demand for power wouldn't allow him to take a back seat to men who knew better what they were doing, while his supporters will say that Cohallan's proposed policy wasn't committed to full Irish independence and that de Valera had no choice but to take charge. Regardless, the Irish delegation descended on Chicago on the 4th of June in a gaudy display of spectacle, opening offices on Michigan Boulevard with huge circus posters across the road from the Chicago Coliseum, where the Republican convention was to take place. They set up their headquarters in the Blackstone Hotel and constantly loitered around the building where many of the Republican delegates were staying. Dr. Patrick McCartan later stated that there was no chance of offending America that we did not take. Cohallan and Devoy arrived on the 6th and began to formulate the text of their resolution to be put before the Republican convention. Knowing the limits of what could be achieved, their short proposal would have had the convention merely recognise the principle that the people of Ireland have the right to determine freely, without dictation from outside, their own governmental institutions and their international relations with other states and peoples. While committing the party to no course of action, its adoption by the Republicans would have been one of their first major statements on Ireland, and would have put pressure on the Democratic Convention to adopt a similar resolution. This was unacceptable to de Valera, however. He drafted a much longer proposal which would have had a Republican president grant to the elected government of the Republic of Ireland full, formal and official recognition. A meeting of the rival Irish groups on the 8th of June at the Blackstone Hotel failed to find agreement and so the next day, 
two separate presentations were made to the Republican Party Committee on resolutions. When the 13-person committee voted that evening on what resolutions would be put before the convention, de Valera's proposal had only a single supporter, while Cohalan's was narrowly approved by seven votes to six. While this should have been a major achievement and cause for celebration, the rift between de Valera and the Irish-American leaders was so strong that he could not allow this victory. His public denouncement of the resolution alarmed the Republican Party, and all reference to Ireland was dropped from their convention. In the weeks after, Devoy attacked de Valera in the pages of the Gaelic American, accusing him of wasting funds collected for the struggle in Ireland, while he defended his actions by saying that Cohalan's resolution would have done more harm than good, as it misrepresented Ireland's claims to independence. Following the fiasco in Chicago, de Valera travelled to San Francisco at the end of June to push for a resolution on Ireland at the Democratic Party convention. For a number of reasons, Cohalan and Devoy stayed away. They had openly supported the defeated Hiram Johnson for the Republican nomination and knew that President Wilson held Irish Americans partially responsible for the failure to endorse the League of Nations. De Valera put forward the same proposal that had been heavily rejected by the Republicans, but he soon found himself under attack from representatives who accused him of using trickery to collect $10 million from the pockets of American servant girls. The legality of the bond drive was questioned again, though this didn't stop the man who made it a reality, Franklin D. Roosevelt, from being put forward as the Democratic Party's nominee for vice president. Though Dole Aaron declared its unwavering support to de Valera and authorised him to spend up to $500,000 on the US election in the middle of the convention, on the 1st of July his proposal was again rejected at the committee stage. By now desperate for some minor victory to justify his course of action, de Valera hurried back to Chicago and by the 16th of July he was able to announce that the Farmer Labour Party had unambiguously adopted recognition of the elected government of the Republic of Ireland by the government of the United States as the official policy of the party. By then, however, a major incident had been caused by the arrest of William Barry, an Irish fireman who served on board the steamship New York when it docked in England. He was found with two pistols, 300 rounds of ammunition and a bundle of coded letters, which authorities ascertained were for members of Dáil Éireann and the Irish Republican Army. The letters, most from James O'Mara and Sean Noonan, were heavily critical of Cohalan and Devoy while praising de Valera. The letters were released to the British press and made their way into American newspapers, breaking beyond repair what little of a working relationship still existed between the Friends of Irish Freedom and de Valera's Irish delegation. Noonan's letters were heavily critical of Dermid Lynch in particular. Having immigrated to the United States in the 1890s, Lynch became involved in Irish-American politics before returning to Ireland in 1907. He was one of three American citizens, along with de Valera and Tom Clark, to be sentenced to death for his role in the 1916 Rising, but his sentence was commuted and he was released from prison in June of 1917. The following year, his actions as Sinn Féin's food controller, when he ordered that pigs bound for export to England be slaughtered and the meat sold to the citizens of Dublin, led to his arrest and deportation to the United States. This, however, didn't stop him from being elected TD for Cork South East that December. In the United States, he became Secretary of the Friends of Irish Freedom and worked tirelessly to increase its membership, 
turning it into the most effective of the various Irish-American organisations. Following de Valera's arrival, the Irish delegation viewed Lynch as a Cohalan loyalist. One of Noonan's letters to the acting president of Dáil Éireann, Arthur Griffith, published in the Philadelphia Ledger, referred to Lynch's position as secretary of the Friends of Irish Freedom. It is inexplicable to me how he can hold his position and represent the people of Cork. His action in retaining the former position and carrying out the instructions of Cohalan makes him, in my opinion and in the opinion of other members of the party, unworthy to represent any Irish constituency and a grave menace to our cause. Other critical letters, from Noonan to Michael Collins and from Peter McSweeney to his brother Terence, the Lord Mayor of Cork, were also published in American newspapers and on the 6th of August, Lynch's letter of resignation as TD for Cork South East was read at a meeting of Dáil Éireann. Collins later telegraphed Harry Boland, telling him that Lynch should have remained steadfast to the Dáil and to Ireland and have dropped the Friends of Irish Freedom. He also advised Arthur Griffith to stop sending him the Dáil's Irish Bulletin, arguing that it will give them a power out there to use against the President. Just as de Valera was trying to establish, for better or worse, his supremacy over the Friends of Irish Freedom, so too was the Irish Republican Brotherhood, with Collins at its head, trying to establish supremacy over Clonmacnoise. Boland, himself a former IRB president, had just returned to the United States from a visit to Ireland with instructions on how to proceed, and in October, he and Joseph McGarrity would move against John Devoy. As a decisive showdown neared, de Valera's standing was greatly bolstered when the Irish Archbishop of Melbourne, Daniel Mannix, crossed the United States en route to Rome. On Sunday the 18th of July, a massive rally was held at Madison Square Gardens where 16,000 people gathered to welcome him. He was introduced to the crowd by de Valera, who described him as a true champion of the plain people. They held another joint appearance in Washington on the 23rd of July, and when Mannix set sail from New York on the 31st, de Valera escorted him through the 5,000-strong crowd that had gathered at Pier 60 to see him off. It was a moment of high drama, as Britain had banned Mannix from entering Ireland after he declared his intention to stop off in Cork, and there were fears that the English crew of the Baltic would strike instead of allowing him on board. They were eventually dissuaded from doing so, and as the Baltic set sail for Ireland, de Valera was hoisted onto the shoulders of the assembled crowd and carried to his car. Mannix's visit had been a massive publicity coup, which de Valera desperately needed, and his reception off the coast of Ireland drew even more attention. On the 9th of August, two British naval vessels pulled alongside the Baltic as it approached Cork Harbour. The ship was boarded by detectives from Scotland Yard who placed Mannix under technical arrest. They transported him onto a naval destroyer which took him to England where he was allowed to resume his journey to Rome. By August of 1920, the largest Irish organisation in the United States was tearing itself apart. Thal Aaron had been fed a constant supply of reports stating that the Friends of Irish Freedom had not given de Valera their full support and had done their utmost to block the bond drive. In June, the Minister for Foreign Affairs, Count George Plunkett, had publicly condemned Devoy and Cohelen. For many Irish Americans, this was the first that they had heard of strife within the movement, and with the Irish delegation's criticisms now openly known, factions began to form attacking the national leadership. 
De Valera saw in this an opportunity to push for control of the organisation, and in early August he demanded that a meeting of the National Council be convened to implement reforms. While he had plans to stay in the United States well into 1921, the changing situation in Ireland would see him return to Dublin in December. In the next and final episode detailing his stay in the United States, I look at how de Valera split with the Friends of Irish Freedom to establish his own rival organisation and address the results and aftermath of his tour of America. Accorda, thank you for joining me on The Irish Nation Lives. Slong of old.